All right, everybody, welcome to the Texas Aggie Meltdown Show. Uh, we're the Hodges Brothers. I'm Brian. I'm Casey. And uh, wow, this is a big addition of our show. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. And uh, this is the College Football Committee Really Effed It All Up show. That's what we're going to call this. Yep. Um, so we've, uh, we've got a lot of talking to do. We'll get right into it uh, here in just a second. But the one thing I did want to say to everybody who does watch, uh, we had a huge week out on Twitter. Um, a lot of you joined us on Twitter yeah. and uh, tripled our followers in a little over a week. And we're closing in on 400. Just wanted to say thanks. And as far as the show goes... You know, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, I think it looks better. It sounds better. And we're going to start pushing this content out to you guys on podcasts. So uh, we're, th we're working through Anchor and uh, we've got some, uh, we've got uh, Pocket Cast up and running. We've got Spotify up and running. So look for the link if you'd like to watch or listen, excuse me, listen to these things on podcasts. Just wanted to throw that out there before we get going. And Casey, I thought the best way to attack uh, the the activities of the weekend was actually we're going to start on Saturday and we're going to work our way up to the college football committee making the decisions they did. And um, we'll start with those early games. So obviously we played early, but I want to park A&M Tennessee over here a little bit. Big win for A&M 34, 13. We, we all watched it. We loved it. We enjoyed it, but let's start in the early morning with the two games that uh, played alongside us. And I actually didn't get to watch uh, uh, the Big Ten Championship. I was in Knoxville. I went to the AM Tennessee game. But you were hanging out at home. And what did you see uh, from Ohio State in the Big Ten title game? I saw them struggle early on, uh, which didn't surprise us all that much, with a pretty salty Northwestern defense. Right. We talked about that last week. Yeah, and we you even talked about – the tendency of Justin Fields to throw the football the wrong jersey, uh, and he did that in the end zone. Pretty good throw, actually. Pretty massive highlight of the year uh, for the DB at a college station, actually, to to pick that ball off at a pretty pivotal time. And you were really thinking Northwestern for a long time was yeah. was going to pull this off, but as the game wore on and Northwestern. Uh, was not able to distance themselves after an early kind of ten to three lead, then ten to six, and and they just couldn't get that extra score to uh, to keep distancing themselves. Despite the fact that they kind of ran the ball or, or moved the ball quite a bit between the thirties, but just either had mistakes of their own or. Um, uh, I think missed a field goal. Right, just couldn't quite get over the hump, and you kind of it kind of felt like as you got through most of the third quarter that Ohio State was was probably going to end up pulling it out, and they did. Uh, really behind their running back uh, Sermon more so than Fields. Uh, I think uh, I think Sermon broke Zeke Elliott's single game. Over 300 yeah. yards rushing. Yeah, he was over 300 yards. So, Well, that kind of that tells you how much of a struggle it really was. You ran the ball for three, 300 yards plus, and you, you, know, you barely win by a dozen points. Now, I, look, I'm not going to discount a double-digit win, all right? 
but it kind of went the way we thought it was going to go. Ohio State was well without a lot of players. They were missing mm-hmm. over 20 players in this game. We thought they would struggle offensively, but we questioned whether Northwestern would have the offensive firepower to do something about it. And it sounds like they just couldn't muster up enough mm-hmm. momentum um, to make Ohio State sweat through the fourth quarter. So, you know, I, I think, though, the, the point I would like to make, and that's going to be the theme here for this first part of the show, is Ohio State struggling was a good thing for AM. Yep. Right? There wasn't an upset, okay? And, and you and I talked about this um, throughout the day. Like, there was no death blow to some of these teams, but there were good signs, right? Yeah. Ohio State struggling was a good sign. The other early game was the Big 12 championship game, which was OU and Iowa State. And, you know, that one was an interesting one, right? Oklahoma jumped out big early. And then Iowa State just clawed their way back in that thing. And I think that actually got us nervous a bit, right, for a little while as it came down to the wire. Yeah, because if you were worried about Iowa State potentially jumping us, uh, then that wasn't going to be a good result for us if they were able to pull that out. Um, But – I don't think they were really ever in danger of jumping us, even if they had one. And of course, as we've seen, it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but uh, even for them, but yeah, that, that game I paid less attention to than uh, obviously our game got the bulk of my attention and then mostly the big 10 championship, but right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, look that I was, uh, I didn't want to see Iowa state win that game uh, because I didn't want to listen to the college football blowhards all night try to talk up Iowa State, right? And a, a team that, again, had a horrible loss on their resume. And I just didn't want to hear that noise. I don't want to put up with it. And so I was glad to see Oklahoma go ahead and take care of that game, but struggle, right? So yeah. jumped out to the big lead, but then just couldn't do anything in the second half. And that's going to be very interesting when we start talking about bowl matchups because uh, Oklahoma drew a pretty interesting draw uh, in the Cotton Bowl with Florida. So uh, we can talk about that later. So jump ahead to, I think, the game that we the whole country was focused on, and that was the ACC championship game with Notre Dame and Clemson. And there was two possible outcomes that we were all hanging our hats on as Aggies. Either Notre Dame wins mm-hmm. and saddles Clemson with their second loss of the season, or we wanted Clemson to come out and just absolutely destroy Notre Dame, which is what happened. Yep. And, you know, was there anything about that game that surprised you, or did it go the way you thought it was going to go? Uh, it didn't surprise me at all. And in fact, I think I pointed out on Twitter if you were watching our show from last Tuesday. Uh, the ranking show, I said basically exactly that, that the addition of Trevor Lawrence was going to make a big difference uh, because despite the fact that their backup against Notre Dame played well and put up a lot of yards, I knew that Trevor Lawrence and what he brings to that offense uh, was going to strike faster against Notre Dame. And if they got rolling, they were going to make Notre Dame one-dimensional and it was going to get out of hand for Notre Dame. And that's exactly what happened. Right. And um, and we even noted in our show 
that, uh, you know, that we thought would be a great outcome for us or one of the three potential outcomes from the weekend that would put A&M into the playoff. I was pretty conservative on how big a win I thought Clemson needed to eliminate Notre Dame from the playoff. And Clemson far exceeded uh, my expectations there uh, with a, right. a, what was that, 24 points eventually that wasn't even that close. I mean, it, it was, it was 34 to 3 halfway through the third quarter or something. Uh, Notre Dame couldn't do anything on offense, less than 300 yards on offense for the entire night. Uh, they were, you know, once, once Clemson got up, their defensive line was pinning their ears back. And like we said, Notre Dame one dimensional and they just couldn't get anything going. So, you know, at that point, you know, A&M fans are thinking the weekend couldn't have gone any better than we thought it could. I think, I think we all knew that Ohio state losing or Notre Dame winning were the two scenarios that, were guaranteed to get us in or way more likely to get us in if they happened. But we also knew that those two things were the least likely of the three scenarios that might get us into the, to the playoff. So uh, we knew early on, on Saturday that Ohio state wasn't going to, or had already won and that Notre Dame wasn't winning that game. And so it was just for us to sit back and go, how much can Clemson pour it on? And, uh, Gosh, a garbage touchdown at the end. How much difference did that make? I don't know. Clemson stalling out a little bit, kind of putting it on cruise control through the fourth quarter, pulling their quarterback right in the middle of the fourth quarter in an yeah. ACC championship game, basically communicating to everybody watching that Notre Dame doesn't belong on the same field with them at full strength, that yeah. uh, Notre Dame is garbage. And make no mistake, yeah. that's exactly what that was. That yeah. was a Debo Sweeney moment where he's saying what happened in the first game is irrelevant. What happened back then with us missing several of our players, the best player in the country, on the road, we still took this team to double overtime, and yeah, they got it, but at full strength, when you're actually playing Clemson, Mm -hmm. the full football team, you don't belong in the same zip code. He was telling them that, pulling his starting quarterback, with four minutes to go in the game on Notre Dame's side of the field. Notre Dame, like Clemson was driving. Yeah. And, and they could have made that an obscene score. And look, you know, the question you just asked, well, would that have made any difference? Were they watching? Yes, they're watching. The committee was sitting in their rooms or in their big room all day watching football. So they saw it, which is going to make our conversation here in a minute even more interesting. Mm-hmm. So I will touch, look, real quick, because there was another game played that night. It was the best football game played um, in the championship games, in my opinion, between Alabama and Florida. Um, It was looking early, like an Alabama blowout. And Florida absolutely came out in the second half and turned momentum back on their side but never quite enough to where you felt like Alabama was going to lose the game. And, uh, you know, in fact, an an argument could be made. Alabama was pretty dang dominant in the second half on defense, but some things kept happening that kept Florida alive. 
Yeah. But one way or another, massive hits, huge plays, yeah. you know, tremendous athletic performances on on either side. Uh, Kyle Trask nearly died in that game, <laughs> trying yeah. to will forward. times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he really put his body on the line um, all the way down to the last play. Uh, and and the reason that I did want to touch on that is because in in my mind, Florida playing that game like they did was another sign of just how difficult this schedule is, just how difficult it is to play SEC teams, uh, especially the ones at the top half of the conference this year on a weekly basis. And we beat that Florida team. And, you know, look, yes, they lost to LSU last week. LSU's winning football games down the stretch now. Yeah. Okay. They're a good football team right now. They're a good football team right now. We said they would be good by November and December, right? Like they would get better every week. Mm-hmm. So to me, seeing Florida do what they did and play tough SEC football uh, was another positive. Okay, and so, you know, that sets up the decision that came down today. And I think going, you know, going to going to sleep last night, you felt really good about where A&M was. But I tell you what, folks woke up this morning not feeling great. There was a lot of pessimism going in. And and I think, you know. I'll tell you why I think that is. I think the noise emanating from the media personalities just kind of got the best of everybody and everybody's going, this just isn't going to happen. And guess what? It didn't happen. Yeah. Right. So that's the next big topic for everybody. The college football uh, playoff committee released their rankings this morning. Obviously, A&M ended up on the outside looking in and Notre Dame hung on. And uh, boy, you know, there's a couple things here. Um, there's some long-term implications to this that we're going to get to. Yeah. But there's some interesting things that, based on the comments from the committee, that really, really stand out. And, you know, the first one was is they use the term resume. And so resume, in this instance, at least from what, you know, if, I, if I'm taking them at their word, and that's a hard thing to do because we're not really in this process. Um, resume trumps what just happened in front of your own two eyes the night before. And that's a huge issue to me. Right? Like, I just watched your last audition, okay, on national television, a game that presumably, based on all precedent, you actually needed to win. And you got dog cuss by Clemson. And for somebody to come out and say, well, resume, this, resume, that, let's talk about UNC and a victory over North Carolina who lost to Florida State and Virginia somehow trumps six double-digit SEC wins in a row to finish the season is a ridiculous notion. And so it, it, it paints the picture as, well, we just throw everything in a spreadsheet and that's how it came out. I don't buy it. I think it's crap. I don't think that's what they did at all. I think that's what they come out and they tell you to cover up the mess they just made. Yeah. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on that? 
you know, I, first of all, you know, resume apparently only matters when it's talking about A&M and Notre Dame and not Ohio State. Fair point. One. But I'll, I'll say this. I think the thing they said that irritated the most and – and I tweeted this earlier, there's been lots of lots of talk about, well, I guess this just confirms it's all about the blue bloods and that you can't get in if you're not a blue blood or it's just them throwing in Notre Dame because of the decals on their helmet or even worse because of the politics of maybe like what kind of audience they bring to the playoff for yeah. television ratings, whatever. I don't doubt that there's a little bit of that in what happened today Uh, a little bit of blue blood bias sure but based on what they said and some of their things i think what played a bigger role and is far more egregious than any blue blood bias is that they're still giving notre dame credit for beating clemson in november right and that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard because they didn't beat clemson they didn't they beat a shell of clemson at home in two overtimes without the best player in the country, probably best quarterback in the country. Yeah. Like that is absolutely insane. Notre Dame effectively has two losses. And I, that's why I was confident after the game because the margin of victory was well beyond my wildest imagination as far as what would get us in. I, we talked about, Clemson just needs to show that that first game was a total fraud and that if they'd have been anywhere close to full strength, Notre Dame would have two losses and there's no point in putting a team in when there's any kind of potential for a third go around with Clemson. Right. And so, yeah, that's what, where we were thinking because that went, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's got to be a certain number of points or something like that. And I thought that was kind of silly. It, it just had to look a certain way, except it looked way worse than we thought it would. Right. And the points were way worse than we thought it would. Uh, so I couldn't sit there and watch that game and watch it unfold and think, okay, the committee has nothing else to look at right now. They're watching this. There is no way that they can think, well, but they still beat Clemson. Right. And how can that still be in your mind at all right now after watching that game? Yeah, and and that goes back to the spreadsheet theory. Yeah. I'm just listing some things out and I, I you know, I can't make a compelling argument in the room or you know, nobody can make one that everybody can buy into. So we're just gonna or go to the simple yeah, this simple yeah. spreadsheet uh exercise and 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 that is such a, a ridiculous sort of precedent to set and one that I don't think the prior committees have done and no i i you know what you do in november and december is supposed to matter it's always been said if you want to stub your toe do it early in the season Mm -hmm. right when you're building your team and you're trying to find your identity and then the games get bigger and bigger and bigger and they should matter and that's my my biggest issue with this entire thing is that no team had ever lost a conference championship game and gotten in, right? And now they have. And if if it had been a close game and played wire to wire, 
and you know something fluky or it goes into overtime or whatever, and Notre Dame comes out on the losing end of that, I could at least stomach that. Sure. But I can't stomach losing it, not winning your conference, losing out to the team that was shorthanded earlier in the season, and now you got dog cussed by them. Just losing in that fashion should have been the elimination point for that football team. And now with the, you know, the, the long-term implications of this are pretty devastating to college football because here's the message you're now sending for the future is that if a team finds themselves in a similar situation, what's the point of trying to win that last game, that conference championship game? What's the point of risking your star player? What's the point of, you know, going out and taking an, in, an injury risk? Look what happened to Alabama. They lose their starting center. You know, late in that game, trying to protect a lead. Why would they have done that? Why would, you know, any of those guys been on the field if it doesn't matter? If being number one or number two and taking a loss in that game keeps you in play for the bigger trophy, then then why do it? And I And I'm still worried that we go into next season with some – restrictions and limitations on teams potentially, especially with the news coming out of the UK with new strains and everything else. We're dealing with something we don't know about. It could carry on. Well, there's several things that just happened here that are going to influence the decisions that teams and conferences ultimately make. It doesn't matter how many games you play. Your resume can be half as long as somebody else's. And it doesn't matter. Or what you do lately, your last job, okay, you could be absolutely horrible at it and it doesn't matter. And so, you know, what do teams and conferences ultimately start doing? You know, what kind of rules do they put out? What kind of backdoor rule changes do they make to empower these teams? And I just think the college football committee sabotaged their process going forward and the only thing that they can do to rectify it is to actually expand it. Otherwise, they're a very, very broken process. It's a, it's a, um, it's a broken mandate, whatever you want to call it. They screwed up yeah. big time. And I'm glad you said that because of all the dumb things that have been said on ESPN, uh, especially over the last two days and really the last four weeks. Uh, mind-blowingly stupid things out of Herb Street's mouth, Galloway's mouth, uh, Reese Davis's mouth, um, uh, Chris Fowler. Even he blew my mind last night and this morning. I couldn't believe, you know, I couldn't believe some of the things he was saying. But at the very least, I think this is the first time I've seen really all of those guys, um, either thawing a little bit or outright calling for the expansion of the playoff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I do think that I've, you know, I've seen enough of these national guys, um, the Stuart Mandels, the Brandos that have said a lot of ridiculous things over the last couple of months. And it's very clear. That's actually their agenda. That's actually what they're trying to, to, to push through, you know, when they constantly talk about a Cincinnati, who barely handled Tulsa or they or Herb Street 
can't stop, has to stop in the middle of the playoff show to talk about Coastal. Why aren't we talking about Coastal? Because, because Coastal doesn't belong on the same field as the top 30 programs in the country. I don't have to watch five. On, be by BYU, top 20 BYU. Uh, oh. Well, BYU didn't belong in there. No, he didn't. You know, and, and look, I, I, and I, man, I mean, we could do this all night, right? We really could. And we've done it before, yeah. but you know, I've got a massive, massive issue with something that the committee said today. Well, you know, uh, Notre Dame had one more win over one more ranked opponent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're not, you're not a, being objective. You're actually not sitting there and, and looking at these teams and valuing these teams um, on your, on their, on your own, you're watching a lot of polls and everything else. And I know they release their own rankings, right? But they got to own that when a team goes out like a North Carolina and loses the games that they did and then come back and tell me that that's valuable for Notre Dame, right? I just, it just doesn't wash. It just doesn't, you know, and the fact that, and we actually should talk about this. If you go through the college football committee's final rankings, okay, four of the top nine are in the SEC. Almost half of their top 10 is SEC teams. So on one hand, you're saying this is by far and away the very best football being played, right? And then you compare that to the ACC, which I think had something like four of the top 18, but only two in the top 10. And then you go and look at the Big Ten, who had four of the top, uh, I think, like 23 teams, Okay, but only one in the top 10 and a couple in the mid-pack. Like based on your own evaluation, you're saying best league by far and away, right? So why then are you telling me that beating a North Carolina team is worth a damn compared to what A&M did coming down the stretch? It just didn't make any sense. And I thought they just shot themselves in the foot uh, almost at every step. And ultimately... I think they just played it safe. They just did the easiest thing they thought they could do, in my opinion. I, I, I mean, I know that sounds weird, but, you know, they had those teams up there in the top four the whole time and listened to the noise, maybe. I don't know. It was maybe. It was pretty awful. It was pretty awful. And so here's what we have. Okay, we've got Alabama opening up as a 20-and-a-half-point favorite over Notre Dame, right? I thought it would be in the 17 to 18 point range. Uh, actually, one betting book has it right at 17 and a half. Another one has them at 20 and a half. Uh, America does not want to see this football game. And it's shameful that that's what we're going to get to see. Yeah. 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 Bummer, man. But. Bummer. Here's what we said earlier when we tweeted out that the show was happening tonight. Okay. AM fans, you absolutely should be pissed that this happened. You and, and not only the decision that came out today, you should really be pissed about the way your football team was discussed or not discussed all year. Not all year, right? Um, and especially the last the last two months. Um, it is disgraceful. It, you know, you couldn't 
it, it pained some national guys to even mention us in these conversations, despite being number five in the poll every week. Um, you should be angry about that. And, you know, I, it was pretty clear with some comments that came out from our coaches and our players. They're really pissed off, really pissed. Yeah. And you know what? We should be really happy that they're really pissed Absolutely. off. Um, you know, Mike Elko, who never says anything. <laughs> Does anybody know what Mike Elko looks like? Yeah, I do know what Mike looks like. I do too, but that's because we're broken inside, but nobody else does. Right. Um, So, yeah. So, Mike Elko comes out on Twitter. He never tweets anything. Didn't even know Mike Elko had a Twitter account. Nope. And says, I'm never going to listen to another sports analyst on TV again. No, he said ESPN analyst specifically. Okay. Even better. Right. And here. And, and, and so, look, he's standing up for his football team and he's making a statement that these guys have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And a little bit of that was anger at the result. Sure. But here's how bad it's gotten at ESPN for that crew. And, it, and Herb Street in particular is that Herb Street actually chose to respond to that. Actually. And I think he did this on air. Yep. Right. He basically said, oh, I see these comments from Mike Elko. Well, guess what? That goes both ways. Yeah. What a massive step down in stature and respectability that is right there to do that on air and to do that in the heat of the moment and basically say, oh, you think this was bad? Just wait till you see what I can do. Yeah. And I'm horrified by that. It just it angers me because. I thought Herb Street had a horrific year going all the way back to his crying on air episode. And it just seemed to degenerate yeah. from there, you know, basically actively calling for the suspension of the college football season and then everything else that's transpired. It's been terrible. And, you know, I thought the game day show had lost a lot of its luster anyway. And I really do hope. And I hope Ross Bjork, if somebody calls him up next season, when they're just kicking ass and says, hey, we want to come down for this game, that he tells them to go take a hike, to be honest. And he makes sure that we know about it. Because I, I just I, I, I don't think that would be a good scene at all. Aggies don't forget. Um, and I, I just think that would be a really bad situation. It was bad. I For a while, I couldn't decide which one was worse, actually, though, because if you saw the ESPN College Football Twitter account – uh, qu- tweeted, like basically screenshotted uh, Kellen Mond's tweet yes. where Kellen said this was a joke and just like it wrote, like I had this whole story about it. Kellen Mond tweeted this. And I thought, how unbelievably petty. Right. For this multi billion dollar organization to do that to a 20 year old kid, 21, I don't know. Right. Like who yeah. just kind of had his heart broken. Right. Yeah. He's mad about it. And you're like, oh, you think this is a joke? Well, screw you, kid. But at least with that, I can hold out hope that some jackass intern at ESPN tweeted that out and thought it was yeah. funny. Right, right. Like, grown-ass man Kirk Herbstreet did that on air. On he air. threw all of his credibility out of the water on air over it. Right. 
So I have to say that was worse, but still just a horrible look from ESPN on both accounts. It really, really was. But, I, you know, I'll tell you what. And, and okay, going back to you should be pissed. AM should be pissed. Okay. But here's the, here's the flip side of this equation. We said it this morning. Uh, woke up this morning. Look, when you go into a college football season, all right, there's some there's a, a, a list of things you can accomplish in a college football season. All right. And only a couple of them are really good. And we woke up this morning with really good outcomes. Okay. On the table. And it didn't matter what the decision was. We were going to be left with a really good outcome. All right. And going to the orange bowl, a New York's a new year six bowl. Yeah. All right. Is probably Number two, really, let's say it's number three on the list. Yeah. National title, college football playoff, um, conference, conference title, conference title. Go to New York or New Year's Six, right? Like that is way up there. Yeah. And coming into this season, all right, with the schedule change and all of the chaos and some of the unknowns, if you had sat us all down and said you're going to the Orange Bowl. You're going to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You're going to be eight and one. Okay. Uh, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes. How about if you'd sat us down and said all that after the Alabama game? Yes. Yeah. 1,000%. Mm-hmm. And I, and look, somebody on TechSags actually posted that after the Alabama game. Said, we're running the table and this is what's going to happen. And people thought they were nuts. And Which is part of the origin of this show. And exactly. the name of the show. Yeah, why we've why we've called it meltdown eggs, except uh, ever since we've been doing it, it's been nothing but riding high victory after victory. Yeah. And uh, here we are. Now you see it today. Here's why we're melting down. Yes. What it's all about. We're finally getting a good, a damn good, nice, good Aggie meltdown. Fighting exactly. Aggie meltdown. It's beautiful. Exactly. But you should be pumped about Absolutely. going to Miami and playing this game. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because if you go win that game. The outcome is actually better for you and your program. No, don't shake your head. I saw you shake your head. It is actually better for you to go beat down UNC, finish, let's say, number three in the country, all right, and and go into next year with that kind of momentum. Go for it. I'll pause. Yeah. Now, you got something I, to say. I just want to reset there a little bit because uh, I just want to point out, uh, we are unapologetic homers on this show. This is uh, a show by Aggies for Aggies only. So if you want to sit there and complain about us and our homerism, go right ahead. We wear it like a badge of honor. Uh, but but I don't want it to sound at all like we feel like we got jobbed out of a national title here. Exactly. Okay? exactly. We, we were absolutely ready to go play Alabama again, okay? Because we yeah. do not think that that game was 28 points. You know, the game was closer than – the score showed uh, we think we've gotten a lot better throughout the season. We think we left a lot on the table in that game. However, I don't think that's, I don't think it was, I don't think we left 28 points out there. Okay. But, no. I, but I think we were better than we showed and I would have liked the opportunity to go against Bama again and prove it. And uh, who knows? That's why you play the games. Uh, I think our team would have believed they could have won. And, and I think we would have avenged that 28 point loss very well. Uh, so I don't want people to think that we're crying because we were jobbed out of a national title. Right. Um, so I, 
I don't think, oh, if you'd have gotten in, we were just going to get blown out again anyway, and it was going to be embarrassing for us or anything like that. Now, to your point, though, now Notre Dame's going to go get embarrassed for us. Okay. And and I'm embarrassed. Okay. They're going to get embarrassed. They're going to lose by so much more than we would have lost in a rematch with Alabama. And we are about to go beat the tar out of North Carolina. Out of tar. Uh, uh-huh. Get it? You see what I did there? That's oh, right. Nice. Oh, yeah. So that on a sign. And so what does that do for us? Is that put sure? us in a better position in the future for everyone to hopefully finally realize what a fraud Notre Dame is? I thought we had already been through this a couple years ago in the playoff. I thought, okay, we had uh, Manti Teo and that debacle, and then they got in again and only scored three points again against Clemson. I thought, okay, that's the end of it. Everyone realizes what a fraud right. Notre Dame is. We won't have to deal with them anymore. And apparently you do. Or at least if you're AM, you do. Uh, well, so maybe, maybe one more time, maybe one more go around uh, when Bama takes them to the woodshed by five touchdowns, I don't know, whatever. Uh, maybe that dispenses with the notion of Notre Dame. You go beat the tar out of North Carolina. Everyone realizes what a mistake they made. And now A&M's, A&M's ready to go to the promised land in the coming years. I don't know. But, yeah. I, but your point is made. I think that's the point you're trying to make. And yep. it, if you do that, and like you said, the team is pissed off. And I think Jimbo's going to point that out to them. Be like, okay, you want everyone to know what a mistake they made? This is where you show it to them. And so if you can do that, yeah, I, that does build a lot of momentum for your program going into next year. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to put us on the short list of title contenders next year with a new quarterback and maybe half an offensive line and uh, getting turned over and all of that stuff. We'll see how next year plays out. I, I never want to take for granted that, uh, oh, you got here and you're obviously going to take baby steps only going up from here. We've seen programs kind of, you know, I, I don't know, I agree. but it is going to be good for us. But he, but here's where here's where you launch yourself into next year, mm-hmm. right? Is if you do go make a statement and you go play angry and you go take care of business and you end your season with a win and you launch yourself not into the top five, I mean the top three in the country, and you finish out your recruiting class the way we think that's going to happen, and you mm-hmm. stack that kind of talent. And you catch a couple of, of returnees in the offseason at key positions, you're going to come into next year probably in the top five. You are going to have those kinds of expectations. And, you know, unless unless these guys at ESPN really do dig in and, you know, make good on their veiled, Herbie's veiled threat and just start picking apart every wrong thing with the team and try to, you know, talk about that all offseason. I do think they're going to come in with those kinds of aspirations and I do think they're going to be well positioned to do it. And I, you know, and they're going to play angry. They're going to remember all of this, you know, and it's, it sets up nice. Uh, It's the best possible outcome. If you're not in the top four, it's the best possible outcome. And I heard a lot of people talk about, Oh, well, I saw this a couple of tweets. I'm worried that we're going to be Georgia in the Sugar Bowl and really disappointed and we're not going to show up. Man, look, here's the deal. 
Georgia was that team that went into that season national title or bust. That was their goal. Okay. And they it's did been like that the, since Rick was there. Yeah. They got yeah. rid of him. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, so that was, that was it. That was the goal of the season. They got all the way back into the discussion after a loss, I think midway through the year, they played Alabama in the SEC championship and they lost a close game and it knocked them out. Think about that for a second. Okay. They <laughs> lost to Alabama. Little did they know they should have got blown out by four touchdowns. Right. They lost Probably 35 five. to 27 and it knocked them out of the playoff. Okay. And then they were without 13 players who either quit or were suspended or grades or injury, and they had nothing to play for, and they went down to the Sugar Bowl, and they laid an egg, and, you know, season ended when Alabama took a knee and the time ran out, right? Now, think about what Texas did with that. They're still living off of that. They've recruited off of that. They've cast a national narrative off of that. Kind of. We are not in the same position as what Georgia was. We have everything to prove. Our guys are pissed. They realize that going and dominating this football game makes them the foundational team in the Jimbo era for getting into the national title picture. Like they, they understand, and he understands that. And they're going to be out for blood. So I don't think any Aggie should worry about this team being in some kind of mental disappointment state. And if you follow these guys on Twitter and you see what they're saying right now, nothing could be further from the truth. They're ready to go kick some ass. So speaking of ass kicking, all right, we did come off a victory this weekend. I was there. I saw it with my own two eyes. Okay. And so it's time. This one's going to be virtual. All right, it's time for the victory scotch. We do this with every Aggie win, and there's been a lot of them lately. You are way behind, but that's fine. We shall toast to the to another victory and the end of the season. We shall. So we, shall. we beat the hell out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Smoky goodness right there. Yeah. Thank you, Lagavulin. So, 34-13, to 13, let's actually talk about the Tennessee game. Um, wow, it was not what I expected. I shouldn't say it wasn't what I expected, but it didn't follow the script of what A&M's been doing lately. Uh, so, in, in the stadium, the defensive line, and really the offensive line, too, for Tennessee, these are SEC-quality lines. They were huge. And where AM has been able to come out and, you know, start working the body early, they're working the body. Tennessee's not flinching early. No, they're not. And they're running fast sideline to sideline too. You know, I, I don't know why it seemed we, uh, <clears throat> we were trying to pound them, but we we weren't going at the belly that much. Yeah, a big old defensive tackle in there that may have had something to do with that. But um, but yeah, and they were oh, they were fast. They were chasing us down. Tennessee, another SEC team. 
another blue blood, so to speak, that has had some nice recruiting classes under Pruitt. Yes. Um, and but for some reason just doesn't play very well. Um, but they do call they had guys running and hitting. And so yeah, it was tough sledding. And you had to throw the ball to soften them up. Yeah. And Kellen Mond was lights out on the road. I mean, I finished the game with what eighty over eighty percent completion. Sure. Uh was like really, really good. I really faultless up until the interception, um, which we'll get to that. But uh, gosh, he played a great game. Uh, the guys they grinded. Yes, um, almost. Gosh, almost too hard. Dare I say it? I felt like there was some stuff going on in the second half that just felt like we were making it harder than we needed to um, from the guys with the headsets. But I don't know. But yeah, hey. We did it. I mean, yeah, the result. So that was the result was the same, right? But it was. It, I love what you said. We we were grinding out a a win, just like we have been, but doing it in a different way. And we, we look. We never stopped running the ball. We didn't. No. But there was a lot of uh, third and fives, third and six, third and threes, and we had to throw the ball to get those and. You're right. Kellen was so good in the short game. So good. But he was also picking up some chunk yardage every once in a while. And with his feet. With his feet. Right? And look, if you're an AM fan, that's the biggest, that's the best sign. Yes, he has one game left in his AM career. Okay. Oh, maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But for the last look, the last game before this, this game. And the last one, like you have to be excited that he's working the field with his legs and picking up easy first downs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Easy first downs instead of, you know, making a really nasty throw into double or triple coverage. But when the throws were open, he hit them. He was, he was dealing and guys were making good catches too. Were. Right. Because some of those balls um, were into some tight windows. Uh, they were high when they needed to be high. They were low when they needed to be low, and we've seen guys not uh, fail to do that at certain times this year, but not on Saturday. They they were all good, they were clicking, and by trading, you know, the blows, the body blows, working the body was coming through the air, and that did allow them to eventually take over on the ground uh, down the stretch. Like Tennessee just wore down, and they wore down on both sides of the ball. Right, because they were having some success early on offense. They scored on their opening drive, uh, had a couple three and outs. Yeah. Uh, I think we had an interception. Sack, I can't remember now. Uh, got one late. Oh, strip sack from Leal. Yes, strip sack. Um, fought through another hold. Yeah. Right? They're just tackling the dude most yeah. of the day. Uh, they couldn't block him. But man, 500 yards of offense to. Less than 200 for Tennessee. And think about how much of that 200 was on really two plays. Two plays. Yep. Yeah. Two long pass plays. That's all they, they had the touchdowns, and that sucks, but you really gave up two plays all game. Yeah. And look, hey, Brennan Malloy, Hezekiah Jones made some great catches. You're right, sir. Cheers. Yeah. He did. He had a great game. Uh, Jalen Preston 
made a catch in this football game. He did. And I, yeah, I saw him make the catch, and I turned around to my, my traveling buddy who's watching the game with me, and I said, Casey's texting me right now that Jalen Preston made a catch. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> That's the well, first time we had heard Jalen Preston's name in two months. Yeah, and and it wasn't just that. It was at that point in the game, uh, Jalen Preston making a catch really highlighted some baffling things to me that were happening on the sidelines because we heard that we thought, boy, all right, you tweeted Demond Dimas in warmups. Yep. What are he we going to see? He was going to be suited up. Not only did he get to play, he got to play. Was that the first series on the it, goal line? It was our first goal line series. Yep. He tried it out there. He uh, came into the game. Uh, he ran a route. Kellamon scrambled for a very tough touchdown. Yep. And uh, okay, but he's in the game. We thought, and even Billy tweeted at that point. All right, you saw him. Expect to see him in the rotation. You know, it's one of those things where you can tell Billy does this crap all the time. He knows things. He doesn't tell us. And then, you know, because he doesn't want to burn his sources. And then he's like, just so you know, all right, I knew this. And here's what's going to happen from now on. Except it didn't happen. We didn't see DeMoss the rest of the game. Right. Uh and at that point, when Preston made that catch, I was also frustrated that we were not seeing uh, Achain either right. getting carries when Spiller was clearly dinged and not at 100%. I don't know what was going on there. Uh, I texted you several times in the second half. Okay, we've softened them up. And Kellen's loosening them up through the air. And yeah. the little tiny creases in the run game are starting to develop. And Spiller's starting to get six, seven yards. But you could tell... A 100% healthy spiller is getting 9, 10, 12 yards with those creases. Something just wasn't quite there. Well, he was picking himself up off the ground. Yeah. You know, he was limping like every South time. Carolina. Yep. And then ultimately he was down on the ground, right? Yeah. Injury timeout. And I took, and here's what happened. I don't think people at home saw this, but if you're in the stadium, the running back coach grabs Achain. He instantly runs out on the field. And Jimbo pulls him back, okay? Pulls him back to the sideline and takes Anaya Smith out of the slot and puts him at tailback, which is fine, okay? But something was going on there. It was a little odd. Because we've – I mean, against Auburn, uh, we gave Achain basically like multiple series. We just said, okay, we're going to sit Spiller, give him a spell. Not in trash time. Yeah, no, not in trash time. At critical times, critical here, time. this is your series. Go run off some yards, and then we'll bring Spiller back in later. We did yeah. it multiple times, and I thought, this is certainly the, the time to do that. This It was so puzzling because we're like, I'm like, is he in the doghouse? I, I, I thought Jimbo trusted him. He trusted him last week. Right. What's going on? And then the same dynamics playing out with Demos. I'm like, what's going on? Like, we saw him in the like first quarter. But now he's not getting rotated and Jalen Preston suddenly getting an opportunity. It was all just very puzzling. It was puzzling. And look, here's here's the reality. We don't know what's going on. No. We don't. It could be as simple as uh, Jimbo continues to trust his guys. The game was that big for whatever reason. He had a feeling, whatever. I don't, I don't know. But it was odd. And we did. We felt like there was opportunity there to bust that thing open 
you know, break one of these things off for 50 and end it um, and get your get your guy who's looked brilliant uh, some more carries. Um, that You know what was interesting about the Jalen Preston catch? It was a kind of swing around the backside. It was in motion, ended up in the flat, um, kind of the, on the other side of, from where the play looked like it was going. And Kellen did a good job getting the ball. And that actually happened several times in this game. Uh, Isaiah Spiller out of the backfield in the flat, the dump down, right? The dump off pass, which again, you know, between that, those plays and Kellen running the football picked up a ton of third downs. We were nine of 11, something like that. Brennan says nine of 11 on third downs. Those were take things that have been there all season for 1200, Alex. All season. Right. And so look, you know, another, another great sign. Yeah. Um, you know, just a again, a dominating win. 44 minutes time of possession. 44 minutes? 44 out of 60? Are you kidding me? Goodness gracious. I mean, we said, we, we did the stat earlier, you know, AM had held the ball almost a full hour longer than their opponents in this win streak. A yeah. full hour. Yeah, and well, that, they, they how many games? Game. Yeah. yeah, in half. one game. That was the fewest number of plays Tennessee has run in something like fifty years. I think they only they ran. Uh, I think it was thirty plays, thirty. Then and that I mean that was his a historic defensive performance in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, they picked up thirteen points on thirty plays. I don't really like that, but. Um, yeah, it was dominating. Uh, it was it was an interesting experience, if I can, um, just to talk about the road trip out to Knoxville. That's the third road trip I've made in the SEC. I was there in 2012 when Johnny absolutely destroyed Auburn and Jordan Hare. Uh, I was there, gosh, is that 2018? Uh, 2017, the last summer year, Florida, right, where we won on the road in the swamp. Uh, on a Tyrell Dotson interception of Felipe Franks to seal the win. Um, Tennessee, I would have loved to have been in that stadium, in Neyland Stadium with 102,000 people in it. Uh, That would make a a lot of difference because when it's empty, you realize what a turd of a stadium that is. It is awful. Uh, If there's a worse football stadium in America – they need to tear it down. Uh, <laughs> it, it really was that bad. And, you know, look, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's old. Um, if you are going to update it, it's going, you basically are going to have to demolish entire sections of it. And it is a, it's a bowl, right? Like it's a pure bowl. Um, they're, they got their work cut out for them. They've done some, you know, aesthetic things on the outside. They have added some suites and things like that, but I've never been in worse bathrooms in a stadium. It was it was awful. Uh, so I feel bad for Tennessee fans. Be, but I was I was reminded of what we have, what A and M has, and what they've put in place. They've put all the pieces in place. They've invested incredible amounts of money, not just in their football program, but all the sports. You go on our campus, you drive through that part of campus, and it's first class, world class. Uh, approach to athletics and to the campus in general. Uh, you know, Tennessee's campus was okay. Uh, it was pretty dated. 
And it just highlighted the fact that uh, A&M has done everything they can as a university to put themselves on a tremendous trajectory in, in just almost any area. So that's what I learned on my trip. Knoxville was a great town, uh, really cool areas to hang out with and a lot of Aggies milling about, you know, I wish it was, uh, like I said, I wish it was a, a, a normal SEC road trip. You probably would have seen, you know, 5,000, 10,000 Aggies make that trip, even if they couldn't go to the game. Uh, there's quite a few as it is, uh, you know, so fun times and a fun way to end the regular season. Uh, I can't wait for the bowl game. I'm looking forward to it. Already trying to figure out how to get down there and um, see us into the new year and kick off the 2021 season in style against Mac Brown. Mac Brown, the fighting butter teeth coming to town. Yes. Yes. That's that's exciting. That's really nice things to say about A&M today in his introduction. Oh, did he? I'm sure he did. Very nice. I'm sure he says all kinds of nice things. Like he said so many nice things about A&M when he was in Austin uh, to to everybody's faces while he was (laughs) trashing A&M as much as he possibly could. Um, Not just to, to guys that he wanted to recruit, but to players that he didn't even want. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure they didn't go to A and M. Don't go to A and M. Hey, I just want to make sure if you don't go here, you don't go. Go to OU. Go to OU. I want you to go to OU. You're not good enough to play here. Please go to OU if you can. Just don't go to A and M, please. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was pretty. pretty he was pretty damn good at that. Yeah, he was great at it. Yeah, Not very effective. Oh man, I, and look, I, we can. We can go down this rabbit hole a little bit. We could. All right. Um, We've been at this an hour. We could probably go for another couple of hours. I don't think we will. No. But, uh, you know, having discussions with Tennessee fans about where their program is at, um, there's a lot of similarities to what happened to us when Mac Brown came on campus. And we, it probably took us 10 years to wake up to the reality of what had happened to us from a facility standpoint, mm-hmm. from an investment standpoint in coaches and coaching staffs, right? Mm-hmm. That it, it wasn't just money. It was, you, you needed a lot of money and then you needed to know how to spend it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Texas brought in Mac Brown, a master recruiter. They threw a ton of money at their facilities. They outclassed A&M and they absolutely wiped the floor with us in recruiting. I will never forget the 1998 season. We won the Big 12 title. We lost to Texas. Yep. The week before the huge upset of K-State, we lost to Texas. And but we we won the Big 12 championship. We went to a Sugar Bowl and we got the crap kicked out of us on the recruiting trail. Yep. We had one So think about this. This goes back to the point you were talking about. Yes. Casey's one is up, all right? Wrecking Crew, R.C. Slocum, the Wrecking Crew defense, an unbelievable defense in 1998. Yeah, they were and phenomenal. Oh, win. Jason Glenn, we had monsters up front, right? Uh, uh, holy crap, they were incredible. Sam Adams on that team? No. Am I out of my mind? No, you're out of your mind, but I think Brad Bryant was already there. Ty Warren. I Ty Warren, sorry. I get him and Adams. Check this out. 
you had that performance. Mm-hmm. Get your one back up. Okay. Because we signed one defensive recruit in that recruiting class, and it was Brian Gamble. Brian Gamble. That was it. Okay. Texas took everybody they wanted. And then to Casey's point, they ran everybody else off somewhere away from AM. One defensive recruit. And we, we, you know, look, we tried to justify and walk around that. Yeah. Good. We, well, we got to focus on offense. We're trying to get a more dynamic offense, more yeah. passing oriented. Yes, with uh, yeah. with Kevin Sumlin coming in. No, 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 that's what they said back then. In RC. Oh, I, you mean on staff? I'm sorry. Yeah, because Kevin Sumlin was added to that staff shortly. Yes, as a wide receiver coach. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, unbelievable. I, we, it was the beginning of the end, and we didn't realize it. No. Okay. Well, guess what? Just happened to Texas. They got absolutely waxed on the recruiting trail. Absolutely waxed. Good times ahead, gentlemen. Yeah. And none of them realize it, too. It's going to take them a while. A handful of them are kind of figuring it out. There was actually one comment on their boards that basically said, yes, um, this is what it must have felt like for Aggie. When Mac Brown came into town. Exactly. And they're exactly right about that. That's what it felt like. And now the shoe's on the other foot. Exactly. When you start justifying your three star recruits and you justify, well, hey, we beat TCU out and Colorado out and Minnesota out for this guy and he's under undervalued and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, yeah, exactly. It, it's exactly what happened to us. And I love hearing the justifications coming out and the. Oh, you know, you guys are going to go get the crap kicked out of you in the Orange Bowl. Well, mm-hmm. uh, okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for that. Sure. You know, enjoy the uh, the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo Bowl is their draw. I think they're playing Colorado. So maybe Tom Herman will get an extension after they beat Colorado. Maybe so. Um, I drink to that. I will drink to a Tom Herman extension. I actually don't think that's coming. I still don't think that dude makes it to uh, 2021. You don't think so? I don't think so. I think the recruiting hit is too big. And if a couple, if the 2022 class, if A&M lands some of the commits they're in on early, I don't think he's making it. Not going to happen. Well, they can't wait until after signing day, can they? They can't. So if some of those commits happen in the next couple of weeks, we hit the ground running in January, or you pick up an LJ Johnson and a Brian Thomas, uh, it's going to be rough going for those guys. So something to look forward to. Let the drama keep going. There's a lot of drama in college football uh, with coaches. Tennessee, mm, they haven't fired Jeremy Pruitt, but, man, were there some rumblings while we were there. Uh, about some interesting and everything else. and. They're looking for a reason. And then Malzahn, that whole fiasco, <laughs> they have oh, not man. had a coach. And they're talking about a search, an exhaustive search for a football coach. How in the hell? What do you t- A search? Kevin Steele's only three doors away. Yeah, exactly. $21 million. Twenty. not have your guy. That, that honestly blows my mind. I don't know how... 
like I, people have been joking, but it must be true that Gus Malzahn must be sleeping with half the wives of the boosters because how do you spend $21 million on a guy who's like got the most wins against Alabama of any currently active coach or something, right? Against Nick Saban in Alabama, like $21 million to fire him, which by the way, I believe puts him just over the Jimbo line of uh, he's around 8.2 million a year. They've spent on average over his entire tenure in salary now. Club. It's, a, it's a good yeah. club to be it's in. An exclusive days. club. Yeah. $21 million to buy him out and don't have a replacement. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. But I, I don't know where you want to go. I, you mentioned the word trajectory earlier, and I thought we might spend some time on that as far as like what exactly you think the trajectory of the program is we had a discussion with uh, Brendan and Graham earlier um, kind of about where we think the program is. Um, I know there were some Aggies that pointed to this year as kind of the year, right? Um, I don't think yeah. there's really that many that actually believe that I certainly the schedule before COVID hit was favorable uh, to being really good. But I don't know how many genuinely thought like, oh, yeah, it's year three. We got Jimbo. We're going like, to win a national title now. Um, I think that 2020 look was more of, hey, we could be in the discussion. We And then maybe get to a New Year's Six Bowl, that sort of thing, and, and really see the trajectory of the program. Yeah. I've thought, you know, at least – for a couple of years now, look, you just keep looking at what Bama is doing, pulling in like six, seven, five stars a year. Like, yeah, you can be a lot better in year three under Jimbo and you can be more competitive with Alabama. But if you want to be a serious contender year in and year out, you need four and probably five classes yep. before you have anywhere near the depth and quality of an Alabama. And that's unique in college football. Like nobody else has to compete against what Nick Saban has built over there every single year. So in my mind, I wasn't anywhere near thinking we were going to win a title this year. And after watching this season play out, in my mind, we are way, way ahead of schedule with Jimbo. We are ahead of schedule, and I think there was some thought uh, going back 12 to 18 months. People did circle this year, and it was really schedule-driven. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Th- because the schedule was as conducive to making a run as you're ever going to get in the SEC, but there were still a lot of question marks and uh, coming into the season, and that was really about the offensive line, little did we know, but also the secondary, Okay which has rounded into form, but the schedule changed on us, Mm -hmm. right? And what people don't forget is that in that original schedule, Alabama was late, okay? And then in the new schedule, they were in week three, okay? And that is a massive difference. It is. What are you snickering at? I'm sorry, because (laughs) Brandon is commenting on our YouTube feed that uh, our our mom – had enchiladas with Kevin Sumlin, which is an insane sentence, but is actually 100% true 
she had enchiladas at a dinner party where Kevin Sumlin and his wife were in attendance. Uh, this was back when he was on RC staff in the day. Anyway, and so I'm sorry that I've completely distracted the show. That's completely true. Yep. I'm okay. sorry. But back to trajectory, <laughs> all right? Yeah. You, you kind of had the worst case scenario. You didn't get to play Alabama at the end of the year when you had it humming, like, let's say, Florida, all right? You know, we're whatever. We got them in week two when we still had a lot of question marks, hadn't quite figured out our identity. Uh, an incredibly young team last year that is coming into this season. And so I do think expectations changed. I mean, you know, Billy Lucci had talked for years about 2020 being that run, the schedule and everything, year 300 Jimbo. And then coming into the season, after everything changed, he was saying, I think seven wins, you know, is their ceiling. It's their ceiling. Like they should aspire to get seven wins out of this season. And, um, you know, that just kind of speaks to sort of the shift in in timing. And so all, all that being said, you're right. I actually do. I do think now they are ahead of schedule. They're ahead of where we thought they would be. They answered some questions, not just in performance, but in recruiting that will pay off. The one big thing that you and I, you know, have identified, and look, that's no secret. A lot of people have identified it, is they're really struggling for game breakers uh, in the passing game. That's the biggest uh, spot where if they're going to be explosive and they're going to and and play the way we think Jimbo wants to play, they're still lacking that. And it's not that they haven't recruited to that. Okay, it's there's been a lot of circumstances coming into the season that impacted that. You lose Baylor Cup again, a five star, mm-hmm. you know, specimen of a tight end who, if you compare with Jalen Wittermeyer, you know, has incredible potential. And we've lost two years of that pairing. We were supposed to have four years of those guys playing alongside each other. And now we've been robbed of two of them. And uh, that's unfortunate. Cam Buckley. Okay. A solid contributor and a guy who came on late Mm -hmm. last season, started making plays, not just catching the football was making plays. We lose him for the season. Okay. Who's, we had some opt-outs, okay, including your number one receiver, all right, uh, and Kellen Mond's best friend and roommate leaves the program. That additional guys leave the program. That has just been an absolute sore spot for this, you know, for, for getting to where you ultimately want to be. It just feels like it's just delaying the inevitable because yeah. I do think the talent is there. But it didn't materialize this year, and so even you know well, even until with, it did, and then immediately got hurt for the season. Uh, while catching a a really game breaking touchdown, a game changing yes. touchdown, he comes down and looks innocent enough, and he's gone. Um, but question, yeah, so, yeah, question. We have two questions incoming. The first one: Do you think the opt outs feel stupid today? I don't. No, I, I I don't. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question, and I just think uh, those guys made their decision. And no, I don't think they feel stupid. I think they uh, walked away. I'll just leave it at that. I, I think mean, you're right. Yeah. Um, and then does because 
does Calzada have the arm? And Calzada has arm and spades. Yeah. Calzada's got a cannon. That's not might be all he's got. I don't know. You know what? I don't know about that. I just know this. By all accounts, Haynes King's just better. Yeah. He's just better. Yeah. He's our uh, second string guy. And Calzada's going to have a tough time beating him out in the spring. And and it seems like Calzada's going to be the guy to start next year. But we'll see. And so Um, let's talk about that for a minute. Because you made a comment uh, that... I'm not so sure about. Well, I think I think you're right and you're wrong. Because you said next year expect to take a step back at quarterback. Tell me. Tell me what you're thinking. Because I, I, I understand why you're saying it. Yeah. I do. And Saturday was a prime example. Yes. Okay. It was. Um, I think what we've seen from Haynes King is it's very exciting. And I think from day one, as soon as he comes in, starts the first game for us next year, if he does, but I think he will, I think we're immediately going to be excited about some of the things he's doing that Kellen Mond just doesn't seem to have the makeup to do. It just doesn't seem to be in his nature. And that is um, to scramble for the easy five yards. Okay. Right. That's one. Two to take a few more risks. All right, when the risk reward ratio is there, down the field, okay? Down the field. Because that's that's the right way to put it. Yes, yes. Because uh yes, and I think God, I was watching Trask and Florida last night and just thinking like they are taking calculated risks. Yes. Not just down the field but also um over the middle in tight coverage and and trusting their guys. Um, and yeah, they got guys like Kyle Pitts that are, I mean, yeah, you take the risk with that guy, but I think as kind of disappointed we are with the wide receiver core and thinking we don't quite have the horses. I think we, they're better than they've shown and better than they've been given the opportunity by their quarterback. Sometimes I know that sounds insane after the season we just witnessed from Kellamon, because I have to give him all kinds of credit. Um, and even against Tennessee, the dude was awesome, and he's he's grown up so much throughout the year. But I think there is not enough in him to take, like I said, the calculated risk with pushing the ball down the field. Right. That I think a guy like Haynes King, it's just a little bit more in his nature. I think you're right. And, and then to take off when he sees all the defensive backs with their back turned and to go be like, you're going to give me six yards? I'm going to take it. And who knows? Maybe it'll turn into 12, but whatever. Like and to get them out of that press man coverage because you can't account for me if you do that, and that will then open things up. So, I, yes, I think Haynes King's ceiling is higher for Kellen Mond or higher than Kellen Mond's as a college quarterback. How long does it take him to get there? How long does it take him to get there? He's also going to be a redshirt freshman, um, making his first start. In a yeah. very tough league, I think you're going to see more mistakes. I mean, Kellamon's thrown three picks this year. Right. You know? I, no, I think you're right. I think you will see, especially at the beginning of the year, yeah. right, more interceptions. I think you're also going to see more first downs. Yeah. And 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 I and you talked about the taking off and running 
uh, or the ability, you know, the taking chances. But from what I have seen, and I know it's a limited sample, but when the guy is running the football as a quarterback on designed runs, yes, he is far more aggressive and decisive. Yes, in in the running back option zone read game. Yeah. We are going to see better, more decisive decisions in the zone read game and whatever speed option we run. Absolutely. That's the, uh, the third thing I think that. And what I he does is he's run first. He's keep first. That's, that is actually, you can tell that's in his DNA. That's what he's used to doing mm-hmm. is you've put the ball in my hands and I'm keeping it until that defensive end makes me pitch it. And I'm going to make him make a decision. Okay. I will force that guy to make a decision Mm -hmm. where with Kellen, it's a complete opposite. Kellen is taking that ball and he's waiting for that guy and he's not sure what he's going to do. And you can see the, in the, I don't really want to keep this ball. I don't, I do think that changed a little bit on Saturday. I saw a little bit more of a, I'm keeping it. I'm going, but not to the point where you can just tell it's not what he's comfortable doing. And Haynes is very comfortable doing that. And Haynes is just as fast as Kellen. Okay. He is a, he's a legit four, four guy. He's fast in the open field and he doesn't look it cause he's kind of gangly and, and, you know, he's six, three and uh, long arms, and, but he yeah. can go. So, you know, I think the kid is, he, he's what Jimbo wants. In a quarterback, he recruited him and went so hard after him for a reason. And I love being able to sit there and tell those guys uh, I'm in the stands with that. Hey, you see that number 13 down there? See that kid right there? Yeah, you guys almost got him from us, but you didn't. And he's going to be awesome because Tennessee was his second choice. Yeah, he was recruited heavily by that staff. And, um, you know, I do think he's going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to grow into something really special. And it may not be you know, uh, early next year or next year yeah. at all. But he's going to be a freshman. Well, I, no, he is. I just think if you're looking at this year and saying, God, we were number five, we're knocking on the door. Um, Alabama is going to make Notre Dame look silly and we're going to kill UNC and, and we're going to be right there. Like, it's just upward trajectory. Yeah. And you're like, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment next year. I think Maybe. there's, you know. I choose to believe. Yeah, I, look, look. When September rolls around next year, I'm gonna be drinking the Kool Aid just like everybody else because yeah. that's what I do. That's what we do. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I think just trying to look at it rationally. Um, you know, the defense I think will be better. I mean, <laughs> Jimbo just keeps loading up on a mind blowing amount of defensive line talent. And I think uh, we'll shore up the secondary even more, the linebacker core even more. We'll miss Buddy Johnson, but like defensively, it's just going to get closer and closer. Um, everybody's worried about the offensive line. And I probably rightfully so. If, if you don't know, Kenyon Green is the only guy on that offensive line that's not a senior. Uh, so for sure, four guys are out of eligibility normally, however, mm-hmm. because of COVID and the rules the NCAA passed, they can come back if they want. So you got to think that's four guys that can leave if they want. Uh, you got to hope one 
maybe probably at most two out of that four just decide they want to come back and keep playing because they probably don't have much of a shot at a pro career anyway. Um, and then you've got Bryce Foster coming in who looks day one ready to start just like Kenyon Green was. So if you can get Layden uh, Robinson, Layden Robinson, who has been awesome when he comes on the field as a backup, you're like that guy next level off season is going to be awesome. So, so you get, you're going to be great with Kenyon Green. You're going to be great with Layden Robinson. Bryce Foster will probably force himself into the mix. So that's three. Maybe get one of them to come back. That's four. And who knows? Maybe this Luke Matthews kid, yeah. Matthews. Matthews. I mean, Anybody heard ready that? to force himself onto the field. How do you not like the prospect of that pedigree? So, yeah. Okay, we're losing a lot of guys. But, hey, by game three or four, maybe we've cobbled something together. Yeah, so, I, I don't even yeah. think – look, I I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that – when you start recruiting the way you want to and you start stacking that kind of talent and you start seeing these kinds of results mm-hmm. that you reload and every other program, elite program in the country does it. Every time we think, oh, well, LSU or Alabama or Clemson, they're losing three seniors or four seniors on this line or that line. Guess what? They come right back with a whole new group that is just as devastating. Yeah. And look, this group, last year took it in the shorts okay they weren't great they weren't it was their first year under a, a new offensive line coach um they you know a, a year less of conditioning and strength mm-hmm. right they took and that was the biggest question mark we had coming into the season was the offensive line and they're one of the best in the country and look that starts at the top okay and I I don't have that concern. I definitely don't have it on the defensive line. Um, well, no, right. But let's talk about that because we're. I think we're probably going to lose Bobby Brown this year. Yeah, like that guy's got to go to the NFL. Um, but Jimbo has recruited the numbers and quality at defensive line that it takes to reload that Alabama has been doing. I don't feel like he's done that at other positions like offensive line. Um, quite to the same extreme because the defensive line recruiting has been insane um, to reload like those other teams, but it's been good. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, but uh, the defensive line is going to be insane next year. It's probably going to be even better, um, which is a crazy thing to say when you think you're probably going to lose a guy like Bobby Brown, who has been just, I don't know, a total force in the middle all season. Yeah. Absolutely. But the talent is ungodly Yeah, uh, coming up behind those guys. So, you know, I don't worry about that. You've got a lot coming back in the secondary, a lot, um, some real, you know, real players. Um, although we did see, I think we took uh, Miles Jones for granted. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, it was funny. Gabe Buck made an interesting comment on Tex Eggs Radio uh, about a potential all-American recognition for Miles Jones. And everybody kind of was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tap the brakes. Tap the brakes. And all of a sudden, you see what happened when he wasn't in that game, um, out with kind of a nagging injury that we hope and it doesn't sound like is going to be an issue 
by January 2nd. Uh, but, uh, dude, that guy's been really good. And he's another one of those guys who played a lot early in his career and got ate up, mm-hmm. struggled, struggled to figure it out. But now, you know, put together a really good season um, across from number 17, who's who, you know, took it in the shorts for a game or two. And then his base yeah, was, was a lockdown out. guy. Yeah. You just ignore him over there. Like, ignore ah. him. Which makes having a guy like Miles Jones even more important. Yeah. Because the other side's completely locked down. They're coming to you. And yep. he's been good. He has been good. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been really good. Um, so, you know, a lot of young players in the secondary. Um, linebacker, there's a lot of upcom- up and coming talent that's gotten on the field this year in spurts and done well. Uh, if you can get a guy like an Aaron Hansford to come back, play himself into the league. Yeah, with a with a really good extra season, uh, that would be tremendous. Yeah, you lose Buddy Johnson. And look, Buddy Johnson is really good uh, for us this year, but uh, from a just a raw uh, athleticism standpoint, there's there's better players coming. Um, if they could put it together the way Buddy Johnson has put it together, then we're going to have some really really good linebacker play too. So trajectory on the defense I think is just up up and up as long as you can keep Mike Elko and I don't know how long we can do that but look Jimbo Fisher is also to the point with this program that you can survive a Mike Elko leaving because you're going to be able to go out and offer a tremendous amount of money and get somebody on a very short list Mm -hmm. to come here and coach defense and um, you know you think about Alabama switch out assistants all the time Nick Saban is the constant. Jimbo Fisher is going to be the constant. So I feel really good about the defense. Um, you know, the offense, we'll see what happens. The potential's there. Mm. 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 Well, look, I, I think despite the pleas from our very limited audience at the moment, I think that probably wraps it up for this episode of the uh, Texas Aggie Meltdown show. We've had a lot of fun doing this over the last couple of months and uh, we'll keep doing it. And, you know, we've got our podcast channel set up and we'll send out the links for those. We're going to convert this over to podcast form. So if you're just now jumping on with us or you missed the first hour and you want to you want to hear our rants on the college football playoff committee, you can do that and uh, subscribe to those. Subscribe to this channel. And that way you kind of get everything as it comes in. And uh, we really appreciate it. We appreciate the viewers, um, even on the live show, and uh, following us out on Twitter, at Meltdown Ags. Um, Look, we're just having a ton of fun with it, and I hope you guys are too. That's it, man. Sound good? Sounds good. Adios. Next time.